Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast, where we share weekly sermons from our church services. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. We are a multi-generational family church located in the heart of Little Rock. Calvary's mission is to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. Whether you've long been part of our church family or are tuning in for the first time, we hope our podcast provides the same kind of welcoming space you'd find here on Sunday mornings. Most of all, we hope this space helps you engage God's Word and grow in your faith. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34 today, and um, we're just continuing with this journey in this very extraordinary book. The last time I spoke or preached was uh, two weeks ago, and I preached from one of the saddest and most disappointing chapters in all of the Old Testament. It was Exodus chapter 32. You might remember that's the story when Moses goes up on the mountain once again to spend time with God, to receive instructions from God. And while he's up there, the people uh, begin to lose heart. And they think he's been gone way too long. Something's happened to him. And then the people, the Israelites down at the base of Mount Sinai, then began to pressure Moses' brother Aaron, who was in charge, uh, to make a golden calf, an idol, something tangible that they could worship. And then they have this sacrificial ceremony. They offer sacrifices to this idol once it has been made. And then they have this wild party that was uh, clearly involved sexual immorality. And these are the people that Ryan mentioned last week. He said one commentator says what was happening was like a couple, a husband and a wife, a bride and a groom, on their marriage night, one of them chooses to commit adultery against their spouse. It's what this was like. The Israelites had just promised to God on several occasions when God was explaining and ratifying the covenant that he was making with them, they had promised out loud multiple times saying, we will obey everything you have commanded us. We will absolutely do it. And then immediately we read Exodus 32 and they broke the covenant. And it was a mess. It was a very, very sad thing. It caused both God and Moses to have some serious righteous anger. And then after dealing with the idol, meaning Moses gets rid of the idol, he destroys it, he calls the people to repentance, and then those who do not repent are judged severely. Then after that, Moses goes back up on top of Mount Sinai to have another conversation with God. And while he's up there, he basically pleads with God that he would forgive his people, even offers his own salvation as an exchange for God to relent from punishing his people. And ultimately, God does forgive the Israelites, and he renews his commitment to the covenant. And while we're reading about this in Exodus chapter, the rest of 32 and 33, in the beginning of 34, 
we're seeing that Moses has developed this extraordinarily close relationship with God. He has truly gone very deep with God. And uh, it's a very intimate relationship. How do we know that? Well, if you just read some of the passages in here, in these, uh, these three chapters, you'll see what I'm talking about. First of all, Exodus 32, verse 10, says something like, it says uh, this, describing how God feels about Moses. When, Mo, when, when God, the Lord, realizes what his people have done, he's very angry, and this is talking about that. He says, now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. God is thinking about plan B now at this point in the narrative. And he says to Moses, I'm going to destroy the Israelites, but then I'll make you into a great nation. And so as God is condemning his own people, he is giving Moses a great compliment. I want to start over, and I want to start over with you, Moses. You're my kind of guy. And then look at Exodus 33, verse 11, another extraordinary passage that talks about the closeness of Moses and the Lord. It says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Wow, that's extraordinary privilege and intimacy and closeness. Look at Exodus 33, verse 17. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. Why? Because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. They were not casual acquaintances. They were dear friends. And God was very, very pleased with Moses and knew him intimately. That's what he's saying there. And at the end of chapter 33, and Ryan spoke on this last week, we have this really extraordinary worship experience of on top of Mount Sinai. Picks up in verse 18. Let me just read it. Again, it says, now Moses said, now show me your glory. Asking God, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And this, of course, is the passage where we have this great hymn, He Hideth My Soul. You might remember that hymn. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. God was protecting Moses because his glory would literally kill a human being if he saw his full own glory. That shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand. That's relating to this event in Exodus 33. All of this is saying that Moses had an extraordinarily close special, deep, intimate relationship with God. And then we read Exodus 34, 
And essentially, God reinscribes the Ten Commandments on new stone tablets because Moses had thrown down the others when he came down the mountain and saw what was happening. In anger, he throws them down and they were shattered, broken, which symbolized that the people had broken God's covenant right off the bat. And so he inscribes new commandments on the tablet. The, the, the Ten Commandments are again inscribed and he's bringing them back to the people now. And so we come to the end of chapter 34 and this is where I want us to focus today. Exodus 34, beginning with verse 29, it says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Again, because he had seen the glory of God intimately. And then it says in verse 30, When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant. And they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him and gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until they went out to speak with the Lord. So Moses, unbeknownst to him at first, when he came down the mountain, his face had a radiant appearance. The glory of the Lord that he had experienced on top of the mountain, was now being reflected through his physical body, through his face, through his demeanor. That's pretty extraordinary. That's, a, I think, an amazing thing for a person to experience. And one of my questions when I read stories like this in Scripture is, well, is this just simply describing, is it being descriptive of what Moses' experience was? Is this just something that Moses encountered with God because he was God's special prophet? He was God's spokesperson called to lead the Israelites out of bondage from Egypt, and now he was the one that the covenant, the law, the Ten Commandments were coming through? Is this just, this was just for Moses? Is that what this is? Or is it more prescriptive? Is it telling us what others can experience if they follow the same principles that we read about here. If they too go deep with God in their own spiritual lives and their own relationships, if they too become very intimate and very close with God, can they also experience the same thing? Can they have something physical where people that see them, when they see them, they see God. Where these people are literally like Moses, reflecting God's glory. Can that actually happen with other people besides Moses? And as we ask these types of questions, the way we really can discern that is we can ask, do we see this anywhere else in Scripture? If we don't, it was probably just a one-time thing. It was just describing 
a situation where Moses had a special and unique relationship that will not be repeated. But if we do see it elsewhere in Scripture, that tells us this is more prescriptive. It's prescribing what you and I can actually experience too. So what does Scripture say? Do we have any other examples in the Bible of something similar to this? A radiant face or something physical where people see God's glory through another human being. Well, let's think about Acts chapter 6. You might remember as we go into the New Testament, the early church, the leaders of the early church had a need to choose some deacons, some people who would take care of the widows and the orphans, and make sure they had enough food to eat and their needs were met. And so they chose seven men. One of them was named Stephen. And Stephen, if you read Acts chapter 6, is described as a man who was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. He was full of wisdom that the Spirit of God gave to him. And uh, he was even able to do some extraordinary, powerful healing miracles. And so Stephen was a godly, godly man. He too, like Moses, had gone very deep with God. He had an intimate relationship with God. He was very close to God. And what we read about is that he's arrested because the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, are jealous of him. And uh, basically, he's brought before them and he's about to, he's going to preach to them. He's going to share the gospel with them. And after he shares the gospel, tragically, he's going to be stoned or killed by these Jewish leaders. But before that, verse 15 of chapter 6 of Acts says this, All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently, intently at Stephen. And look what they saw. It says they saw his face was like the face of an angel. That's exactly what it seems, was being described about Moses in Exodus 34. They saw the glory of God physically on Stephen's face. So we do have another example. We also have other scriptures like Psalm 34, 5, written by David. David, who was a passionate worker, said, a worshiper, he said this, those who look to him, meaning to God, are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. We also have an extraordinary passage written by the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, Paul is kind of comparing and contrasting the old covenant that came from Moses and the new covenant that came through Christ. And as he's describing it, look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, 18. He says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, talking about believers, who with unveiled faces, he's comparing this to the veil of Moses, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. And we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
And basically, Paul is telling us as New Testament believers, New Covenant Christians who have the Holy Spirit, we too can experience the glory of the Lord and we are transformed by it, which means and implies that others, when they see us, who've been in the glory of the Lord, who've experienced the glory of the Lord, now actually have Him living within us through the Spirit, we then reflect His glory. And that reflection will often be physical. They will see it in us. Just like the Israelites saw the glory of the Lord in Moses. Well, how do we get there? This is not, I don't think we would ever say this is what you will see anytime you see a Christian. I might say it's what you should see anytime you see a Christian. But if we need to, if we really want to get there, if we personally want to be able to have a radiant face from the glory of the Lord that is reflected into all the relationships we have, how do we get there? I think we can look at Moses' life and learn some things. So that's what I want to do right now. Here's some things, maybe some concepts, some key concepts that we ought to keep in mind as we think about Moses' life and his journey into deep, close intimacy with God that allowed him to have this radiant face reflecting God's glory. One thing I would say here, if we look at Moses' life, we can see that spiritual growth is a process. It's not an event. Moses, when he was first called by God at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, was not anything like the Moses that we read about in Exodus 34, in these later chapters. And so we really, we really need to realize as we look at his life and we see his path to intimacy with God, to, to deep faith, to a close relationship with God, we see that it's, it's really kind of up and down. Two steps forward and maybe one step back. And you and I need to realize that that's probably the way it's going to be with us. And we need to realize that sometimes our growth is going to to, to have some setbacks. But if we keep after it, if we keep pursuing God passionately, we will keep moving closer, slowly. And we will eventually get to where God wants us to be. So first of all, spiritual growth is a process. Secondly, to go deep in our relationship with God, you don't have to be perfect. Look at Moses' life. We often think of Moses and the other heroes of the faith as these people that are just like superheroes. And we can never emulate them, never be like them. And that's not true. The Bible is very clear about the, the faults and the fallacies and the brokenness of the people, the heroes of the faith that we're reading about. Moses was clearly a broken person. He had lots of faults. Early in the chapter uh, uh, or the book of Exodus, we see that Moses had an anger problem. 
You might remember he actually was a fugitive running for his life, having to leave Egypt. Why? Because in a fit of angry rage, he ends up murdering an Egyptian taskmaster who was beating one of the Hebrew slaves. And Moses knew he had that Hebrew heritage, knew it from his birth mother. And so he had gone to kind of encourage them and he sees this happening and he gets angry and he, I don't think he intended to kill the Egyptian, but he intended to beat him up, but he ends up killing him. And then he has to leave Egypt because that becomes known. He becomes a fugitive out of anger. We see that his anger was not completely gone. In fact, I think it's almost humorous in Exodus 34, the very first part of this. It says, the Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I'll write on them the words that were on the first tablets. And then he puts this little line in here, which you broke. So Moses wasn't perfect. He had an anger problem. We also see that he had a self-confidence problem. Remember those early chapters when God calls Moses? He did absolutely everything he could to get out of the call. He made every excuse in the world. And he said, I can't do this. I can't talk. I shouldn't go back to Egypt. All these things were in his mind, in his heart. And we see pretty constantly he struggled with self-confidence. So not only did he have an anger problem, he had a self-confidence problem, and ultimately it boiled down to a faith problem. And so you don't have to be perfect to go deep with God, but you do have to be willing to deal with your fallacies, to grow past your weaknesses and your shortcomings. And that's what we see Moses doing. We also see here that going deep in your relationship with God requires time with God. What really happens if you read the story that we've been going through is at first Aaron was kind of Moses' spokesperson. God would speak to Moses and then and, and Aaron together and then Aaron was the one that would go and give the message to Pharaoh and others. But it didn't take long for Moses to kind of step in and actually be the voice that he didn't think he could be. And they would hear from God. They would deliver the message. They would see God work. Saw God bring all the plagues. Saw God part the Red Sea. Saw God provide water for all the people out in the desert. Food would show up every morning. They would pray. God would tell them what to do and they would explain it and then God would do it. Food, protection from the Amalekites and others. And then they get to Mount Sinai and things begin to change because Moses begins to go up on the mountain and meet with God. You know how many times we think he went up and down that mountain? We can trace eight different times. And what we're reading about now was the last one. And on three of those occasions, he spent 40 days and 40 nights. What Moses was doing in these latter days was he was worshiping God. He was having conversation with God, prayer with God. He was communing with God. And God was giving him very special instructions, very specific instructions. And then he was going back and delivering those 
to the people. Going deep in your relationship with God requires time with God. That's a huge thing. And it's one reason why maybe we struggle in our culture, our world, our lives to experience the glory of God like he did because we don't put the time in. You know, we're not really, you know, we know we're not, we're not saved by works. We don't earn God's favor in any shape, form, or fashion. But we need to understand that spiritual growth takes focus and it takes effort and it takes time and it takes commitment. One of the leadership principles I follow is uh, actually from an old basketball coach, John Wooden. And he talks about in his pyramid of success, he talks about leadership and the importance of being intentional. And I define that as being persistent, being tenacious, and being determined to achieve your goals. That's intentionality. If you and I want to go deep with God and be intimate with God, we're going to have to be intentional about it. And we're going to have to put the time in. And it is hard work, but it is work that will pay great dividends. You know, really, as we think about going deep with God, I think for me, it one of the core disciplines that Christians have practiced for 2,000 years since the time of Christ has been what we now call a quiet time, a devotional time, or a time of study in the Word of God, a time of prayer. And I really believe that is exactly what we can do and commit to and develop that will help us really spend the time with God and form the intimacy with God that we see Moses having. So real quick, if you're going to have a quiet time, I've preached on this actually on the New Year's sermon. I think there's three things you need, you and I need to do. We need to have a time, we need to have a place, and we need to have a plan. The time you get to choose. What's best for you to be consistent, but we do have evidence in Scripture that early in the morning is a good time. This makes sense. You're waking up to start your day. Start your day with God. You know, that was one of Mother Teresa's secrets to her faith and her intimacy with God. She taught the Sisters of Charity that were working with some of the, 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 the most difficult cases of brokenness in India. She said, start your day with God, end your day with God, and then you can be assured that everything in between will be a dedication and act of worship of God. It's a pretty good plan. Start your day with God. Have a morning quiet time. End your day with God. And then everything in between can be an act of dedication to God. But I would say if some of you, if you can't do your quiet time in the morning, Find a time that you can, that you can commit to, that you can be consistent with. Then find a place, a place that's quiet, a place of solitude, a place where you can 
focus, a place where you can worship, a place where you can pray, even pray out loud, and a place where you can read the Word of God. Or if you're reading through a study of some type or a devotional book, you get to choose that. But you need to have a place and then you need to figure out your plan. And if you're reading through Scripture, which is a great plan, I would just encourage you to keep a kind of uh, keep some bookmarks in your Bible. I've never been the type of person myself that could read through the Bible in a year. I'm not that disciplined. So what I would do is just read a couple of chapters in the Old Testament, put a bookmark, and then I would jump to the New and read a chapter in the New. That, that helps, by the way, when you get to books like Leviticus. That's where all good Bible reading plans die, right? So keep a bookmark. And then if you miss a day, like your pastor, or a few days, or a few weeks, you can still pick up where you left off. And so just... Have a plan. Read through Scripture is what I would advise. Don't jump around. Read through books at a time. You may read through the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. But read consistently. Have a plan. Build grace into your plan. And then I have a friend that loves to keep a little journal. And I think that's important too. Your quiet time really should involve a little bit of time of worship, Certainly a time of prayer and certainly a time in the Word of God. In fact, you really can pray what you just read into your life that day. Put those two together and, uh, and you will start growing. And you'll start experiencing intimacy and closeness with God. Start your day with Him, end your day with Him, and then as you live your life, He'll be speaking to you. He'll be guiding you. The Spirit will be prompting you to do things or to remember things. And that's really the last thing. Going deep with God requires an obedient heart. This is where a lot of us struggle in modern Christianity. We know the Word of God, but we often fail to actually obey the Word of God to do the Word of God. And it's not just what we're reading, the commands and the, 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 the thou shalt and the thou shalt not. It's not just that. It's also that spirit, still small voice, that gives us these assignments along the way. Are we listening to them or are we dismissing them? Are we obeying the spirit or not? And these come together. Moses clearly had developed an obedient heart through his journey. He didn't want to go, but he finally gave in and he went. He accepted God's call. And then God gave him some very challenging assignments, talking to Pharaoh, and he went. It was scary, it was dangerous, but he delivered those messages. Then he saw what God did, and his faith began to grow. And then he was consistently obedient to all the things God said. And that's really what I think it boils down to. When you put the time in with God and then you actually obey what God teaches you and tells you to do, you become very, very close. And you too 
can become a friend of God who begins to see and experience the glory of God through your worship, through your study of the Word, through your prayer life. And then you get those assignments along the way and you step into them and you see God work. Your faith begins to grow even more. And you feel the joy and it becomes a reflection that others see in your own face, heart, and life. Not too long ago, I was out in my front yard, and uh, I have a, a neighbor, uh, and his family, they're a wonderful family, and they happen to be from a Middle Eastern country, and they happen to be Muslims. It's really not a surprise if you know where they're from. And so God's put us in their path. And Mona and I have talked a lot about trying to minister to them, and I've been developing a friendship with them. He's a wonderful man, the father. Wonderful family. So such good neighbors. Um, been so gracious. And so we've tried to be the same. This man is not just a Muslim. He is a leader in the Muslim community. Frequently we see cars and like Ramadan. They host Ramadan celebrations. And so he's not just a Muslim. He is a leader in the Little Rock Muslim community. And so I've just, you know, I've, I've been praying. I've just had said, Lord, can I have the boldness to pray that this guy would not just know Jesus as a great prophet, that he would know Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. Wouldn't that be so cool? And if somebody like him actually came to faith in Christ, it would almost be like an Apostle Paul type person, the impact that he could make. And so I've been praying for him and just having some conversations. We've had the chance to go a little deeper. I haven't been as bold as I need to be, but, but we're, we're in process. I walk outside not too long ago, and I'm going to mow my yard, I believe was the, the plan, and suddenly his door opens, and he and his wife step outside, and they a, a young couple steps out with them. And I could just tell by their conversation that one, I could tell they were very good friends, and two, I could, as I listened to this young couple, I just immediately knew. They're believers. And I'm listening to them interact, say their goodbyes, and I'm watching a little bit of their demeanor. I don't know what it was, but you could just see it. You could see the glory of the Lord. And sure enough, my neighbor sees me. I said, oh, oh, Scott, you need to come over. I need to introduce you. Here's a, he's a pastor, and he introduced me to his friends who were actually... Now, Bible, they were in, in Bible school, Bible college uh, in Colorado, and they were going to be part of a church plant. And so we began to have this conversation, and kind of in code, I be, began to, we, we kind of told each other, man, I, I'm so thankful that you are praying the same thing I'm praying. That tells me that God's at work. No doubt that He's working. And there is a lot of hope that my neighbor 
will come to know Jesus as we know him. But you could see it. You could see it in their demeanor. You could see it in their faces. The joy of the Lord. The glory of the Lord reflecting off of passionate Christ followers. And I see it in lots of you already. But I think the Word of God is telling us we need to all see it in each other. It is possible. Choose to go deep with Him. Choose to put the time in, focused on Him. Choose to be obedient and pray for His glory that you can reflect to others. You know, we have the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper today. This truly is the moment, the event that comes with the supper, what it represents when our Lord Jesus was glorified fully. And so as we think about the supper today, I want us to rededicate our hearts to going deep with God. That's the specific prayer I'm asking each of us to pray right now. Will you join me? Father, as we think about the bread that represents your broken body, the juice that represents your blood that was given in our behalf, Father, we are so grateful for your sacrificial love and for all the things that we now have because you loved us so fully and so faithfully. Lord, we want to be faithful to you. We want to go deep. We want to experience your glory and let others experience it through us. So help us now as we rededicate our lives to do that very thing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us in person each Sunday morning. Our contemporary worship service is at 9 a.m. and our traditional service is at 11.15. For more information, be sure to check out our website, cbclr.org.